Well, Peter ends his epistle here, writing to these suffering believers by reminding them of the reality that they are in a spiritual battle. A battle with a real enemy whom he says, notice this, is like a lion. He's not a lion, but he is like a lion in the sense that he is on the prowl, seeking whom he may devour. Satan is like a lion, on the prowl, looking for those that he can take advantage of. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 10, this about the devil, that the devil is a thief and a robber who comes to kill, to rob, and to destroy. And you know how thieves operate. They will case a house. They'll study it, and they're, they're looking for entry points. They're looking for places on the property where, that, that are maybe vulnerable that they can get in. And that's how Satan operates. He's looking for entry points, places of vulnerability where he might be able to get into our minds or get into our hearts or get into our lives. And so Peter is addressing this battle that we find ourselves in. And he gives us here, I want to point out three insights that Peter gives concerning how we are to stand strong in the midst of the battle. If you're taking notes, the first is, he says, to be sober. And the idea there is to be self-disciplined, self-controlled. It's, it's the opposite of being intoxicated. It's the opposite of being ruled and controlled by your emotions, It's the opposite of being casual and nonchalant. In fact, the the main idea that he speaks of here is being aware. You know, it was Warren Wiersbe who said that the Christian life is not a playground, but it's a battleground. And this is what Peter's getting at. Be sober. Be aware that you are in a spiritual battle. But a lot of Christians forget that. In fact, it's interesting. A Barna poll gave out these statistics that four out of ten American Christians, so 40%, strongly agree that Satan is not a living being, but merely a symbol or metaphor of evil. And an additional two out of ten Christians, so 19 or 20%, said they agree somewhat with that statement. So think about this. There are 60% of American Christians that don't believe that the devil is real. No wonder so many Christians are getting beat up spiritually today. No wonder so many spiritual or Christians today are living defeated lives. Here's the problem, though, about that statistic. Jesus spoke of the devil as being a real being. So this is the thing that we need to understand, that we need to kind of come to grips with, is who are you going to listen to? Jesus, the resurrected Lord, or someone else, or some other theory? You see, the issue is one of authority. And where do you derive your authority today? You see, everybody gets their authority from someplace. Some people get their authority from culture. It's the platform of popular opinion. And if everyone else thinks, you know, this, then that must be true. That's the way a lot of people today in our world 
operate. They operate under the authority of culture. Some, though, they operate under the authority of tradition. Well, this is kind of what I've always believed. It's what I've always been taught. So therefore, it must be true. Others operate under the authority of their friends, kind of their inner circle and giving in to that that peer pressure. But listen, as followers of Jesus Christ, your authority needs to come from the Bible. And you need to put stock in what Jesus said about the devil. And when Jesus talked about the devil, he never ever talked of him as an it or a that, but always as a he and a him. A real being who actually existed. It was D.L. Moody who once said this, I believe in the, the devil for two reasons. Number one, the Bible says that he exists. And number two, I've done business with him. You know, I can honestly say that in my Christian experience, the darkest time in my life happened when I was pastoring the church up in Oregon. It was about the second or third year into our time there and actually things were going pretty well but it was during that time that I started to get these thoughts that were coming into my head and the Bible says that Satan shoots these fiery darts at us some translations put it these flaming missiles and these fiery darts you know they're not real fiery darts but they're thoughts that's where he attacks us that's where it usually starts is in our thought life And I was getting these thoughts that were coming into my mind that I wasn't really called to be pastoring this church. And then it progressed to I really wasn't called to to be in ministry at all. And and then it progressed into, you know, a few other things. And it took me on this spiral where in my mind I was just going down to the point after about three months of just battling with these thoughts, I I actually became, I was having suicide thoughts and it was then that a friend reached out to me and he said you know he called me out of the blue hadn't heard from this guy in a long time and he said hey how you doing and you know I I did what we usually do I'm fine And and he's like no really how are you doing and so I told him about these thoughts and he said to me he said Rob that's the devil you're in a spiritual battle And some of you are old enough to remember this. Remember the old V8 commercials where the guy's like, oh, I could have had a V8, you know? Well, that was my response. Like, oh, yeah, there's a devil that hates me. And I feel embarrassed to say that as a pastor, that I literally had lost sight of the battle and was only looking at all these thoughts that were coming into my mind through a rational human perspective. I had lost sight. I wasn't aware of the battle. So the first thing that Peter says to us is be sober. Be aware that you are in a battle. And what Peter says next is the follow-up to that. If you know that you are in a battle and the war is raging, you need to be, the second thing he says is be vigilant. And the idea behind be vigilant is be alert. It's be on guard. You see, it's like a soldier who's on duty. You see, a a soldier can be in a battle, but he can find himself in a place when he's not on duty. He's back at the barracks. He's kind of kicking back, and he's not in the, the, the midst of it, and so he's not on guard. 
Well, as Christians, the battle that we are in, it's constant. It's, we are always in it. There's never any rest to it. And so Peter says, you need to be on alert. You need to be on guard. That we should never, ever let the devil take advantage of us. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. He said that we need to be aware and not be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. That we need to know his strategy of how he seeks to attack us in our mind. And his strategy really hasn't changed that much from in Genesis chapter 3 when he came you know, at Eve. And what did he do with Eve? He got Eve to doubt God's heart. He got her to doubt God's provision, and he got her to doubt God's word. And that's what he seeks to do in your life and my life, is to doubt God's heart, to doubt his provision and his care, and to doubt the word of God. That's how he attacks us. And then he, the Bible says he uses the things of this world to entice our flesh. So we need to be aware of that. We need to understand that that is his strategy. But having said that, you also need to know the areas in your own life that you're vulnerable. The entry points, the places in your own heart and mind where you are vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. Maybe for some of you, it's fear. That you tend to play that what if game all the time. Well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And the devil will play upon that. He'll play upon that fear, that anxiety. And he'll try to get you to run down a rabbit trail. Maybe the, the vulnerable point in your life, the entry point is pride. That you have a tendency to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. So you have a tendency to kind of look down on others and you have a tendency to become defensive when anybody says something about you that isn't, you know, as flattering as that you would like or they, you know, want to confront you on something and the devil will play into that. And he loves to use pride where we're thinking so highly of ourselves to get into somebody's life and move them in a direction of bitterness. Maybe the entry point in your life is insecurity, which is actually just another form of pride. You know, when we're insecure, we're thinking so much about ourselves and what everybody else is thinking about us. And I have news for you. Most people are not thinking about you very much at all. Because we're too busy thinking about ourselves. <laughs> we're all focused on us, you know, and what's going on in our life. But the devil will play upon that. What are they thinking about me and, and, and that type of thing? Maybe the situation, the area for you is that of trust, that you just have a hard time letting go and giving things over to the Lord, that you want to hang on to them, that you want to control them, and the devil will play upon that. Whatever it might be in your life, you, we all have those entry points, those places where we are vulnerable personally to the attacks of the devil, and he will come at us. He'll look for that entry point. So we need to be sober, be aware of the battle. We need to be vigilant, be alert and on guard. And then the third thing he says is that we're to resist him. And the word resist means to arrange in battle against, and it pictures a face-to-face confrontation. It means to set oneself against and to stand firm against someone else's onset. It's the picture of being dug in. 
where you're like, okay, come on, we're going to do this. And you're like digging in, you're getting your balance, and you're ready to, to have this battle. I'm not running, I'm fighting. And it's this last point that I want us today to really kind of do a deep dive into. Because Peter also gives us some insight here on how we are to resist. And there's four things that I want you to notice and see. The first way that we resist, number one, is by being submitted to God. In James chapter 4, verse 7, James said this, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, James says something here that Peter actually emphasizes, and this is such a key when it comes to spiritual battle, and it's this. Before you can resist the devil, you first have to be submitted to God. Or to put it another way, the key to resisting the devil is by drawing near to God. You know, people oftentimes will quote this verse but they leave off the first part. They'll say, hey, the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. But it first says be submitted to God because that's the key. You and I in our own strength do not have the power, the ability to resist the devil. That's why it starts with being submitted to God. You have to submit to God first. And this is what Peter has been talking about in emphasizing, we looked at this last week, our need to humble ourselves before God. Submission is an act of humbling ourselves and placing ourselves under God's authority, under God's wisdom, and under God's care. So last week we saw in verse 5 that he said, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Listen, when we humble ourselves before God by submitting to him, this is what God does. He meets us with his grace. He meets us with his divine resources. His power and his authority to live the Christian life and to stand strong in the battle comes when we submit ourselves to him and humble ourselves before God. You know, when Paul was writing to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6, he emphasized this in verse 10 when he said this, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In other words, it's not your might, it's his might. It's not your strength, it's his strength. You know, the idea that the Bible presents to us is this, one with God is a majority. The Bible says, if God before you, who can stand against you? And the answer is, no one. As Christians, we are fighting in this battle, not for victory, but from a position of victory because Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the real lion, has already won the war. He declared, it is finished. And Paul said he disarmed principalities and powers, the devil and his demons, in other words, and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. So we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from a position of victory when we find ourselves submitted to Jesus. 
So first of all, we resist the devil by being submitted to God. Number two, by, we resist the devil by being steadfast in the faith. But I want you to notice the definite article here. He says, being steadfast in the faith. It's not being steadfast in faith. He's not talking about your faith. He's talking about the faith, which is the truth embodied in Scripture. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And our faith is based in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes this. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, stand therefore. You think he's trying to tell us something? The point is to stand. Stand fast. He says, stand therefore, here's the key, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Notice, Paul says that we are to stand fast, stand therefore, having our waist girded with truth. When he says that, he's not talking about you being a honest person. No, the truth that he is speaking of is the truth of what the Bible tells us about who Jesus is, what he has done, his work of redemption, his victory over the devil, and who we are in him. That's the truth that we are to have our waist girded with. Jesus said this in John chapter 8, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then he said this, and he who the Son of Man sets free is free indeed. And Jesus in saying that, he's equating himself with the truth. In John 14 he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So we are to stand fast in the faith, which is the truth concerning who Jesus is, His the power of his redeeming work, the fact that the victory has been won, and what it means to all of us who believe that, what it means for us to be in Christ. All of that makes up the truth that we are standing in. And then don't miss this. Those other pieces of the armor that Paul mentions, they're all connected to the belt of truth. They're all connected to the truth. The breastplate of righteousness that covers the heart is the truth that God says in Christ, you are righteous. You've been justified, declared righteous by faith in Jesus. It's the peace that you have with God because of the truth that you're standing in of who you are in Jesus, that you have peace with God and peace within, and you can have peace in situations. So we are to resist the devil by, number one, submitting to God. Number two, we stand steadfast in the faith. And then here's number three, we stand knowing that we're not alone in this battle. Look at verse 9. He says, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Why is this important? 
It's important for us to know that there are those who have gone before us in this battle. Those who have already fought hard and who have won. And their testimony to us is that it can be done. It can be done. There are believers in our church that have gone through some really, really difficult things. And they've come out the other side. And they've been victorious. And their lives are testimonies to all of us that it can be done. There are believers in other parts of the world who are suffering in ways that we can't even imagine as Christians. And they're, they're standing firm in the faith. And their lives are a testimony to us that it can be done. It's what Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the Great Hall of Faith, is all about. It chronicles the lives of men and women in the Old Testament who trusted God and walked with God. People who weren't perfect by any means, but that they made it out the other side. And their lives are a testimony to us that it can be done. So we are to stand fast, knowing, number three, that we're not in this alone, that we are all in this together, and so we can encourage one another. You know, if you ever are driving along the coast in Northern California, you'll notice there's a lot of redwoods along the coast there. And it's interesting, many of the the redwoods, that the the one side of them, the side that faces the water, is very windblown because of just the strong winds that often blow off the shore and and onto the the, the coast there and and blow against. So a lot of times those redwoods are bending towards the shore because of those strong winds. But here's what's interesting about those redwoods. You'll never, ever find a redwood standing there by itself. They always grow in groves because the strength of the redwood is in their interlocking root system. Redwoods don't have real deep roots. Their roots go out wide and they interlock with one another. And so together they're standing strong in the midst of the storm because they're interlocked together. And this is what I think the Bible, one of the things it's referring to when it says of you and I, hey, don't forsake fellowship. Because there is strength in our lives being interconnected to one another. And so we're to stir up one another, the Bible says, to love and good works. This is one of the reasons why what we're doing on Wednesday nights right now is so important. That after Bible study, we're getting into these connect groups and we're talking and discussing, you know, what God has been teaching us and we're praying for one another and there's that connection and we're strengthening one another. That's what the body of Christ is for. Because listen, Satan loves to get us isolated. He loves to get us to think we're an island. And that's when he pounces. You know, speaking of lions... You never, ever see lions attacking a whole pack of animals. What they do is they lurk on the sidelines and in the bushes, and they're they're waiting for that one little zebra to kind of just wander off on its own, and that's when they pounce. And that's what Satan does. He loves to get us isolated, and that's when he pounces. So we are to stand knowing that we're not alone, that we're in this together. And finally, number four, we stand by remembering our future destiny. Notice how Peter wraps this up in verse 10. 
But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want you to notice that Peter does not refer to God as the God of all fairness or the God of all justice, although he is both of those things. Nor does he refer to him as the God of all truth or the God of all correctness, though he is certainly that. No, the one thing that Peter wanted to leave his audience with as it related to the character of their God is that he is the God of all grace. Because our relationship with God is so connected to his grace. We're saved by his grace. There's his saving grace that saves us. That instead of judging us, he poured out undeserved favor upon us. There is sanctifying grace. It's that work of God. And as he seeks to purify us and make us more like Jesus, that he'll come and he'll seek to you know, challenge things in our life that need to be removed because they're keeping us from fully trusting God. There's his sanctifying grace. And what Peter's talking about here is his keeping grace. It's the fact that God is committed to keep you for his eternal glory. That you can enter into, that we would enter into his eternal glory. Paul put it this way in Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's what the Lord is committed to doing in your life. Peter puts it this way. This is, his, this is his heart for you. Take courage in this today. He's committed to perfecting. That means completing the work. He's committed to establishing you, making you strong. He's committed to strengthening you and settling you. But listen, you being made perfect, complete in Jesus, you being established and strengthened and settled in the Lord is going to involve suffering. It's part of the process. That's what these people have been going through. It's kind of like weight training. Oftentimes the muscle needs to be torn down before it can be built back up. And so Peter wants us to remember that God has called you to glory. That's what's on the other side. That's what's waiting. And through his grace, he's going to complete the work that he's going to get us to the other side, that he has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. And this tells me that God's purpose for my life goes beyond a grace-filled life, to, but, but also includes eternal life. And I love the fact that Peter ends the letter in this way. Because this is what he really has been doing the whole time. As we've been studying through this, he's been raising our focus to get our focus off the pain of the race, off the pain of this life, off the pain of the battle, to get us to focus on something that is beyond this life. It's the exact same thing that Paul the Apostle does. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, when he says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart, 
even though our outward man is perishing, that's the pain of this life, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, that's the pain of this life, which is but for a moment, he's speaking in relationship to what he's going to say next, which is but for a a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul says, look, we're not focusing on what we can see, but on what we can't see. We're not focusing on the temporal, but we're focused on the eternal. And this is the point that Peter's making, is that we need to gear up and we can stand firm because you know what is coming. There's glory that's coming. There's a reward that's coming. There's eternal life with God that is coming. And boy, do we look forward to that, don't we? Amen. Now, there's one more thing I want you to notice, and I want you to miss this. And it's this, that the grace and the glory that Peter is speaking of is by Christ Jesus. Notice verse 10 again. May the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. You see, the grace and the glory depend upon, do you know Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with God through his son Jesus? Because if you have Jesus, you have grace, and you will experience glory. But if you don't have Jesus, you don't have either one. I want you to think of it this way. I have my cell phone up here, and my cell phone has a cool case. It's got a nice kind of leathery thing on the back that makes it, you know, just nice, feels great in your hand. And it's also magnetic, so it actually, it sticks to the things, you know. And then it's got a really strong, you know, uh, outer thing. I've dropped this thing so many times and it hasn't, you know, broken. But here's what's interesting. I'm going to actually, he doesn't know this, but I'm going to ask my buddy Luke to come up here right now. Come up here, Luke. Be part of my analogy. I love this guy. He's from England. So love the way he talks. He's got that cool English accent. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Luke my cell phone case. So just take it for a minute there. So now I just gave him my cell phone case, but what's, what's in my case? Just go ahead and say it. Your phone. Isn't that cool the way he said that? <laughs> my phone, right? But I'm not giving you my phone, so give it to me back, all right? <laughs> you can go ahead and sit back down. But <laughs> let's give it up for Luke, all right? So here's the point. I, I gave him my case, but when I gave him my case, he also got my phone, right? So that's why when you see cell phone cases being advertised, it shows you in the advertise the picture a cell phone case with a phone in it, but then it says on the packaging, this does not include the phone, because they don't want you to think that for 20 bucks you're getting a phone, right? But you see, that's not the way it is with Jesus. When you get Jesus, you get the whole package. 
You get everything that belongs to him, everything that comes with him, the grace to live through all the tough stuff and the glory that will follow in the end. But you must take the Savior through his grace in order to get the glory. And if you haven't done that, whether you're here today or you're watching online in a minute, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. But let's see how this wraps up beginning here in verse 12. At this point, make note, you like to write in your Bible, you can write this. At this point, Peter picks up the pen. He says this, by Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. So this is what Peter's telling us, that as he was, as this letter to us was being put together, Peter was dictating it to Silvanus. He says, by Silvanus, I've written this to you. Silvanus is the guy taking down what Peter's saying. But now Peter picks up the pen himself to close it out. And he says, she, notice capital S, other translations say the church, because this is what it's talking about. The the church who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. This is John Mark, who is the one that Peter discipled, who actually wrote the gospel of Mark, which is Peter's story. All of us need to have a a Mark, someone in our life that we're discipling. He says, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Peter says, guys, I know you've been struggling. I know it's been hard, but hey, stand in the grace of God. Stand in his strength. Know what's coming. Know what you have to look forward to. Eternal glory is is a part of our destiny. Realize that. Stand in that and be, be at peace because of that. Amen? All right. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we, you have made a way because Jesus has won the war that we can be victorious in the midst of the battle. And so, Lord, we thank you for that today. And we want to rest in that today. We want to be at peace today in our hearts in the midst of the turmoil and confusion and all the craziness that's going on in our world and maybe even in our lives individually lord we stand today in the midst of the battle submitted to you we stand today in the faith the truth of who jesus is and what he has done and what we who we are in him we stand today united together Encourage that we're all in this together. And Lord, we stand today knowing that the work that you have completed, you are going to finish.